0: you
1: folks and welcome back to another episode of the third impact anime podcast i'm your host for this evening the voice of free austin cadia yes that is me hello and i am joined by a crew of excellent podcasters here with me who do i have with me on this ship today
2: hi i'm tobias the stanley wish of the third impact anime podcast
3: (laughs) And I am Bill holding my wine glass up to the sea of stars as I break it, because that wine was cheap. Who cares?
4: (laughs) And this is Sully, and I'm very upset because Tobias stole my introduction because I'm the Stanley Witch of Third Impact. I be the witch of the woods. (laughs) Well, what you mean you mean one that rarely shows up but is a
2: struggle every time?
1: Wow, <laughs> I was I was gonna say something nice like, "Wow, Sully, we, it's been a, such a long time. It's nice to have you back." But I think Tobias did it better than I could.
2: <laughs> we have to fly over Sully every time.
1: Yep, we can't do it. But yeah, Sully, it's yeah. been be just
2: so insurmountable.
1: It's it's been um uh, it's been like almost a year since we've had you on the show. It's nice to finally have you back.
4: Well, thank you. Uh, I've been really busy over the past year. Uh, Between Animasement of last year and uh, now, I have been working three teaching jobs, which has sucked the life out of me, and I'm about to move to a new city with my my boyfriend. So we actually uh, closed on an apartment, and this week we began moving, and we're not there yet um we 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 started the lease but we're kind of taking the month to slowly move things in so i'm actually still in my old bedroom surrounded by a bunch of boxes uh but yeah that's why i've been taking a break but i'm hoping i'll be back soon and now that uh i'm with this guy i've been kind of forcing him to watch anime so uh he did not watch this with me uh but he will be watching some other matsumoto stuff in the future i'm sure
1: well, we're happy to hear things are going well for you. And
2: it's kind of funny because I think the last time you were on was actually about the same material, wasn't it?
4: I think the last time I was on, I know for a fact was the amazement was the last yes. uh was That's that. Right. But before yeah. that, yeah. it probably was uh when I was doing the Leiji Matsumoto book that Helen McCarthy edited. Um I there might have been one or two between them, but I don't think it was anything uh that important. I had to be fair. To be fair to me, I was like in the middle of like getting my master's degree and and becoming a teacher and uh figuring out what it's like to be an adult, which is apparently horrifying. I would not recommend. What is it, it. like I mean, to be? A... I'll say this. Please I've reached us. the point. I've reached the point in my life where I'm I'm kind of like. I used to be very self-conscious about my age, like I must constantly portray myself as being young, and now that I am, and I'm just gonna say it, I'm 29, I'll be 30 in August, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm glad I'm 30, the kids are they're horrible, I hate all of them, they're, they're, they're confusing and scary and I don't know what their deal is, and they keep talking about this TikTok and all these, these celebrities I've never heard of, and like, one of them apparently kidnapped someone and they're writing their paper about them now, what's going on? <laughs> So yeah, I'm like, I'm, the I'm happy, you, you know, as a teacher. yeah, yeah, I'm 30. I'm happy with that. <laughs> like kids, I, I, I am, I'm good. I don't need to know about your new anime. It's all scary and confusing to me. Let's just, I'm glad Lum is back. Can we all just love Lum? I think we're good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> as the resident old guy, I completely agree that, um, once you get 30, you just like, you know, people talk of they like letting go as being a bad thing, but you know it's really freeing, honestly. Yeah, that's really what uh, we're about to talk about—freedom. You know, I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, that's definitely, um, definitely a key component of this film we're about to talk about: Uh, Space Pirate Captain Harlock, Arcadia of My Youth, talking about the freedom that comes with old age. That is certainly a major theme. Not about how uh, the old people are out of touch and the youth are where it's at. That is definitely not what the film is about at all.
2: Are you saying that the boomers are aliens that have taken over?
1: Uh, an argument could be made, but I think I th- aren't the boomers in bubblegum crisis. I think that's a different thing Oh, that's right. Yeah.
2: Oh shit. I watched that instead. Are we supposed to watch? Uh, Captain Arlock,
1: I mean I I, My one of my vintage anime greatest shames is I have still haven't finished bubblegum crisis, but uh, we could
4: review that one of these days I will say this. I know we'll get into it when we get into the story proper, but I kind of find it funny that um, the title is Arcadia of My Youth, and there is this kind of tension between old and young because uh, Arcadia is kind of like utopia. It's something that kind of it's you know prelapsarian. It doesn't exist in in reality in some ways, and I think there that kind of adds to the this bittersweet feeling that the the film has.
1: Yeah, it's it's got this tinge of uh, you know, Arcadia is the the nostalgia and the good days of of being young, uh, but even the film text itself kind of, it pushes back against that in a way, but we'll get into that later. Uh, really, uh, but as we kind of alluded to, yeah, we're talking about the 1982, 82, yes, 1982 Captain Harlock film Arcadia of My Youth on this episode, but uh, really the reason we're coming to review this title specifically is because... Back on uh, February 13th of 2023, the original creator of Captain Harlock and a bunch of different properties, Leiji Matsumoto, uh, he passed away at age uh, 85. So uh, in a way, this episode is going to be our uh, remembrance of him, talking about our specific connections to some of his work, our appreciations of that work, and uh, again, talking about one of his big films just to sort of celebrate his life and career. So I guess we'll we'll toss it over to you Sully first because you you know did that long series a couple years back talking to a bunch of people whose fandom for Matsumoto really goes beyond just regular fandom like they're researchers, scholars and true appreciators of his work. So uh uh h- how do you how do you think about this in light of uh, his recent passing?
4: So it's one of those things where and i'm sure everyone has this for different artists but like you're aware of their work on the periphery and you keep telling yourself that you you will take the time to actually delve into it at some point in your life and i had done that Mm -hmm. because i actually as i mentioned on the the podcast series i did with the the matsumoto scholars is i actually have like very little knowledge of 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 leisure matsumoto's work like only through osmosis through other anime that reference it my first uh introduction to it was actually the parody of it in the second episode of Excel Saga and the numerous other parodies of like Maytel and Harlock and and galaxy Mm -hmm. express. And, you know, those characters are so iconic for a certain generation of anime creator that they kind of pop up in tribute and, and, you know, and Daft Punk's uh, work with Leishu Matsumoto because they, they sample from, from his uh, uh, Tokinoa universe for their music But uh, I started reading the Captain Harlock manga um, and trying to watch some of the anime very briefly because I actually borrowed Tobias's copy of the manga and it was just one of those things where I read it for a while and I watched a few episodes and I kind of put it off because I had other things going on and then I wound up buying the Space Battleship Yamato hardcover at Barnes & Noble because they were having their big After Christmas half-off sale And when I went there, I was going to get like as much hardcover manga as I could because I I wanted to get like nicer copies of certain works. And I saw Yamado, and I was like, well, I I keep saying I want to get into into Matsumoto. This is probably as good a place as any to start, because as I understand it, his works kind of don't really mean this is probably the best jumping off point you're going to get is this film, maybe. But uh, I had yet to crack into it and it's actually packed away in a moving box now. And then he, he passed away, and I told myself, well, this year, I have no excuse. Like I, One of the worst feelings is when you try to get into an artist only after they die, because it kind of feels like going to a party that everyone else has left. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be able to get more into his work. And this film, I think, is also a good gateway, and I'm hoping I'll be able to read Yamato uh, after I find which box it's in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe the three of us have maybe a little bit more direct familiarity with Matsumoto's stuff. Like in a way, my, um, my first exposure was uh, very similar to yours, Sully, where you, you mentioned that Excel saga example. My first real knowledge of Matsumoto, you know, it didn't come from something like Interstellar 5555, which a lot of people in our, age bracket that probably would have been their first introduction because we're way younger than the folks who watched Star Blazers on TV and that like totally changed their life and everything. That so Matsumoto means something very different for the, for those people for that formulative moment of their lives. But for me, the time I was first exposed to it is doing research for my studio Gynax panel. And I learned that the one of the opening shots in the first episode of Gurren Lagann was like a direct immediate yeah. parody of a scene from, I think one of the openings of either it's the
2: opening for in this orbit SSX, oh. the sequel to Arcadia.
1: See? Yep. There you go. So I was just like, Oh, okay. So there's this Harlock guy and that's what Gurren Lagann is pulling from. Obviously that means Harlock is cool because Gurren Lagann rules. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I kind of learned from it in that way, and then just kind of slowly stuck my toes into some of this stuff over the years. I think Arcadia of My Youth might have been my first anime experience with Matsumoto, even though I distinctly remember being at a screening room at Animazement probably like 2012, 2013, where we were stuck for about 15 minutes just listening to the menu music of the original Galaxy Express (laughs) 3.9, and man... That song will never, never leave my head because of that experience.
4: That's something streaming can't give you, is like, being forced to listen to the DVD or blu ray menu music on loop because you've either, like, lost the remote or fallen asleep to the movie after it's gone off, or in your case, you're stuck in a panel room and, and they haven't started it yet.
1: There should just be 10-hour loops on YouTube of uh, annoying DVD menu music.
2: You know, there probably is. Probably. We should do that for an April Fools' podcast. Just, just release one of those. <laughs> oh, that's that's DVD.
1: just our that's just our podcast in general is annoying DVD menu music.
2: <laughs> the end of Evangelium DVD music. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say for myself, it's pretty similar, actually. Um, it's really funny that you mentioned Excel Saga because I think that was one of my first. <laughs> experiences as well seeing it and being like okay they're, they're going for something stylized here but I don't get the joke myself it just looks like old anime and of course years later going back and seeing it and finding it hilarious because of what they've done and of you course know, the great parody I've in watched...
1: Project echo but I'm sure you probably saw that later
2: oh yeah I, I watched that with the um with, that must have been the DVD release I've had that for a bit but if, yeah, I don't think I really, really recognized it until we put it together for that panel mm, years back. Mm. I, I know sometime as a kid that I watched the Galaxy Express movies. They showed up on the sci-fi channel during some summer marathon. So, like, I know I've seen them, but I don't remember anything about them. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of like Star Wars. And in one ear and out the other.
1: Like a train going through your head. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Choo-choo. And, you know, I think honestly it's the same for me, where Arcadia My Youth is my first for real, for real um, Matsumoto experience. This is a character that I've heard about. Harlock is, you know, this this figurehead, this uh, icon in the anime canon. So we watched Arcadia My Youth sometime in college, and I'm pretty sure I, one of the situations where you start a movie right before bed. And while I didn't fall asleep, while I didn't pull in Austin watching Arcadia My Youth the first time, I do remember being extremely tired by the end of it. I <laughs> think, yeah, it's great, whatever. But I'm falling to bed now. <laughs> and, if, you know, I haven't... This is, again, my personal shame, but I haven't really watched any more Matsumoto, if I'm being honest, afterward. I think it's going to change, but... Oh, uh, no, I caught a few episodes of um, the original TV series, uh, Har- Space Pirate Captain Harlock, when they, were, when they showed up on Crunchyroll. I think I watched a few episodes on my lunch breaks for a week or so mm. but that's honestly been about it
1: bill what what is your history of matsumoto's works
3: i would have to say it was two things it was like a lot of people my age it was interstellar 555 the daft punk uh discovery uh anime music video movie where i was like oh this character designs are very distinctive and i didn't know it was those designs are based off Leji Matsumoto, um, but I thought they were really interesting. And then at some point in a YouTube rabbit hole, I saw the Roger Corman Galaxy Express 999 trailer, which I love to death. <laughs> uh, and I was like, that's real cool. I would like to check that out at some point. But uh, Do you think my... the
1: listeners would appreciate if I put in a clip right here?
3: Uh, if the audio isn't too bad. Uh, from what the source you can find it. But yeah, I love love the narrator in it. It's
2: great. (laughs) On the sharp edge of a far-flung universe of alien beings and uncharted planets, he battles against the robot armies of a monstrous mechanized empire and journeys beyond infinity as he searches for the secret of immortality. Your imagination is the final destination on the Galaxy Express.
3: But my first exposure to Leiji Matsumoto work was, I had heard about him on the periphery and I thought this, his work sounds very Billcore. I should give it a, <laughs> I should give it a shot. Mm. <laughs> uh, and so at first I tried the original space captain Harlock anime directed by Rintaro and I didn't really click with it, but then I watched Completely, all of Captain Harlock, Endless Orbit, SSX. Probably saying it in the wrong got order, got but uh, I love uh, Endless Orbit, SSX. It is a fantastic TV series. Uh, that's a continuation of Arcadia, My Youth, and a great villain, Mr. Zone. He's he's a lot of fun, and so uh, that really got me into his other works, and then. I then started to explore and finally see Arcadia in my youth. And then uh, just this past year, I finally watched the first Galaxy Express 999 movie.
1: So the only thing that I've heard about SSX is that like people generally seem to like it more than the original series, but it has like a very abrupt ending. Is that accurate?
3: Yes, because it was cancelled, unfortunately. That's sad. Uh, yeah, half half its episode order was cut, and it was cut due to uh, flopping in terms of ratings because it's interesting. Arcadia My Youth is a beautiful movie, but it's kind of the tail end of the Matsumoto boom because at the time, uh, Gundam was beginning to rise on the scene, and that was the new hotness. And so at, by that point, the Matsumoto style of storytelling was kind of becoming passe for anime fans in japan
1: yeah that makes sense i mean in 82 like yamato was almost 10 years old at that point galaxy express getting on up there and harlock for that matter so i, I kind of makes sense how the popularity was kind of waning in favor of some other things at the time
2: yeah but his boom was... you can certainly see how you can certainly see how gundam and gun was plotting is very very different <laughs> than what we see even in
1: this movie. Very true. It feels a lot more uh, Gundam. Gundam, in contrast, feels like a lot more grounded. Whereas in a lot of ways, Matsumoto's stuff feels kind of like fairy tales. Oh yeah, very
2: very romantic, very operatic in a way. Yep. You're really not. You don't really need to like worry about the details and the harlock stories so much. You're you're seeing a a pirate, a traditional pirate hero. Not exactly
1: swashbuckling, but space space swashbuckling, if you will. He shivers some timbers every now and again. <laughs>
2: Whereas Gundam is a lot more rooted, you're right in the sort of the military, the, the sort of the military commentary and mm-hmm. what everything Tomino's going for there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I guess even even myself, like uh, I haven't really explored much Matsumoto's. Well, I've dabbled in it a little bit. I've read a bit of the original manga, and um, I've seen the first Galaxy Express three nine film which i really enjoyed and that's really about it i know that uh, bill a couple years ago maybe a year ago i handed you off a stack of harlock manga that i was just like i don't think i'm ever gonna read this did you ever get around to it
3: i read the first volume and i've read the first big seven seas release of the original series so i've read how do you think they compare uh just the art is um has a lot more flourish in the uh 2010 seven seas remake i think it's called dimension something uh, but mm-hmm. it, dimensional voyage i think dimensional, that's it. thank you dimensional voyage whereas the captain harlock manga at the time matsumoto was juggling a lot of heads because he was doing this and he was also working on the uh Yamato uh, anime and also working on the Yamato, uh, t- uh, Yamato manga so the art isn't as clean like it's very much like I had a deadline I needed to get this done there's still some great um, panels especially some of the ship uh, mechanics and mm-hmm. the battle sequences but there are times when you can tell that he had to meet a deadline and he just had to go. <laughs>
1: So we've talked a little bit about Matsumoto's influence in things like, uh, parody and, uh, in sort of homage, but looking at what we, what our familiarity with his work in a sense, like what, beyond just the historical value of a lot of these works, like what, what do we see as kind of the legacy of, of his work in, reflected in anime that has come afterwards?
2: You know skimming over the the manga uh, the other night, I do feel like there's some Tesca there, just the way that these character designs come across there's some of it doesn't age well, of course, but I do feel like there's something like I said I- iconic about Harlock and just sort of iconic about these stories. It doesn't matter really if Harlock's fighting the 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 Amazon the, 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 the doesn't matter if he's fighting the Illuminus. It doesn't matter that he's reliving the Nibelungan lead ring cycle. You know, it could be whatever. He could be in, in, in Western, in Gun Frontier. That's not really the point of Harlock. It's about this figurehead and what he represents more so than anything. And I think that's something that's going to continue on forever, honestly. Mm-hmm. He's always, people are always going to come back to Harlock, even if not the specifics to the figure himself.
1: Definitely, and I I think, I I mean, I don't know how much you can really lay the credit for this at the feet of Matsumoto, but Harlock, specifically, is a character that is highly motivated and highly vocal about his specific ideology being the thing that informs his, the way that he lives his life and uh, thinks others should strive to live theirs and uh that that's kind of like that sort of uh upfront about you know what you believe in what you're fighting for thing is definitely something we see a lot in like uh shonen shonen manga and anime as well where a lot of the characters are very upfront about what their goals are and they're not afraid to be like no i have these specific convictions that i'm going to act upon and i'm not going to compromise like I mean you and Bill being big One, Fee- One Piece fans, I'm sure you can see a little <laughs> bit of uh, of that sort of thing in in One Piece as well, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, plus the obvious okay. piracy thing.
3: Well, cuz a, a constant uh theme in One Piece is uh bringing down the oppressed and getting your freedom back. Like just get, yeah overpowering a government force or dealing with an external force that is kind of putting you down. And that is a constant thing within Captain Harlock of he is going to rise above that and find, find he and his crew freedom that they uh, wish to enjoy and get away from the, from the oppressors
4: and i will say that i think matsumoto draws a lot from from classic film and literature and he's mentioned um obviously the big one is marion de Ma Jeunesse, uh which kind of is a double title steal for for arcadia of my youth because uh the title uh, de means of my youth and then the original german novel it was that film was based on was called painful arcadia so uh, Matsumoto is really kind of showing his hand with where he gets his inspiration from, but also things like Gone with the Wind and, and as Tobias mentioned, uh, Wagner's Ring Cycle, these very, uh, not mythic in terms because they're all relatively contemporary, like we're talking 19th century and, and up, but they have these sort of mythic qualities and that they are about heroes that undergo these sort of very arduous journeys the, the, they really kind of know who they are from the outset. And it, it's less like who how they change and more like how they sort of struggle against the world that is changing. And I mm-hmm. think that kind of plays on Harlock because he really doesn't undergo... I mean, he does have the scene in the film where he, you know, spoiler, loses his eye and we see him... But he doesn't really seem like he goes under massive character changes. It seems more... Oh,
2: yeah. There there is no character development.
4: (laughs) It's more like like everything else. Like, the situation around Harlock changes, and he kind of just adapts to it rather than, uh, you know, him going through some sort of introspective internal journey. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, like Austin pointed out, uh, it kind of brings it into the realm of fairy tales, where it is... Uh, these characters kind of exist as these as these I don't want to say simple because that sounds insulting but these very uh staid character types and they are going to go through this sort of mythic journey that has all of these very specific moments and then they're going to come back at the end and it's less that they have learned something about themselves more than they've learned something about the world I mean Harlock in most of the stuff he's in mentions that he finds the world has become too decadent too too lazy too too immoral in some way and so there really isn't much for him to do other than struggle against what he views as the immorality of others he can't really change himself he can only find ways to try to inspire uh, other people or as in the case of this film just leave earth entirely which uh, brings into some other uncomfortable themes into this uh, film but i'll i'll leave that for later
1: Well, that being said, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about our movie, Arcadia of My Youth. So in our Discord and on Twitter, we asked some of our listeners what their top three Leiji Matsumoto works are, and we got some really great responses, and we're just going to read out a few of those uh, throughout the episode. So we'll have some breaks, and during those musical breaks, some of us will read out um, these lists from our wonderful listeners. And first up is from actually one of our Nerve Commander level supporters on patreon uh, peach pepsi and her top three is interstellar 555 galaxy express 39 and she says about that this manga has a very special spot for me because i remember reading it in new type magazine as a kid and then her third one is the queen emeraldus ova So Arcadia of My Youth came out in the summer of 1982 and was produced by Toei Animation. It is the third animated adaptation of a Harlock story after the original TV anime and a follow-up short film called Mystery of the Arcadia, both released in 1978 and both directed by legendary anime director Rintaro, who Bill mentioned earlier. Uh, he also directed the Galaxy Express 3-9 movies and many, many adaptations of Osamu Tezuka works including Metropolis and Kemba the White Lion.
3: You know, it's, it's weird because I don't think that uh, short Mystery of the Arcadia has been released anywhere. Um, most of the Harlock adaptations have been released either on streaming or in physical media, usually by discotheque. Uh, But that short, I don't think I've ever seen an actual release of it.
1: Yeah, me neither. Like, in doing the research for this, I was just, like, kind of, I was very confused because I didn't know that it existed. Uh, I think it's, it's not like a, it's like an OVA, but, like, before the idea of an OVA existed. It might have been one of those, um, what did they call it, Sully, help me, like, manga matsuri, special things oh
4: yes so it was a common thing uh in japan it could
1: have been that i don't know that it was but it sounds like it could have
4: been yeah where they would uh just do like edited episodes or like a really short film that was on the tv budget they would just put into these uh kids anime film festivals during the school breaks to make a quick buck
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah i remember toei spider man had one of those i can't remember what it was a double feature with but i remember it being uh, a weird tonal dissonance. I'll have to look that up later. But uh, as far as the director of this film, uh, Rintaro did not return to direct Arcadia of My Youth. That honor actually went to Tomoharu Katsumata, who worked on a ton of anime in the 70s and 80s, including the Space Battleship Yamato movies, uh, Sully's favorite film, Mazinger Z vs. Devilman, the original Cutie Honey TV series, Sully's other favorite movie, Toei's The Little Mermaid. And he was the chief director on the Arcadia of My Youth follow-up, Arcadia of My Youth, Endless Orbit, SX. SSX. See, Bill, you're not the only one. I get it mixed up, too. Um, I will say this. Guess, I've
4: actually not seen Mazinger Z versus Devilman. I, ha- I have tried to find really? it many years ago. And uh, there was like a weird daily motion where the image was flipped, and there were like Arabic Ew. subtitles, and that was the <laughs> best I could find. And, but every every time I've heard someone talk about there, they mentioned it just being absolutely bonkers, and so I feel like I have to see it. But I have seen the original Cutie Honey TV series, and I do in fact love Toei's Little Mermaid. It's one of my. It probably is even more than a Disney movie. My favorite adaptation of that story, uh, yeah, even if it doesn't have my good. favorite characters necessarily in it.
1: Mhm. Uh I'm shocked you you missed it whenever I showed uh, Mazinger Z versus Devilman at Anime Club like years ago.
4: You know, it I might have I been an, just busy that day. It might have been those those dark years when I worked in retail and I I was I was busy folding clothes and and telling people, "No, no, it'll it'll shrink in the wash. It'll fit. You just buy it." <laughs> <laughs> To show you, you gotta
2: <laughs> forsake all your responsibilities to go to anime club. It's true. That's what's important in life.
1: It's true because situations like this come up where it's just like, oh, I actually haven't seen Mazinger Z versus Devil Man. I had to fold clothes. See, look how sad that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it builds. So character. Bill, uh, <laughs> Bill, you you're the you're the only one here that has seen Endless Orbit S S X. So do you feel like there's a lot of uh, congruity between? It and Arcadia of My Youth?
3: I think it's a good continuation. Like, it's a good... It continues from where the movie left off. Um,
1: but uh, Just, like, straight through. Does but, but does it feel like the same kind of thing since it shares a director?
3: I would actually say no, because it f- unless SXX doesn't feel as morose and sad that Arcadia of My Youth can get at points... Or, um mm. ssx was a much more uh action-oriented uh, tv series
1: so, so it's like the opposite of neon genesis evangelion where they front load all the morose sadness and backload it with fun
3: <laughs> i guess but uh <laughs> i wanted to add one quick note about the director uh he is from the uh commentary track one of the oldest employees at Toei animation and that he was still directing stuff up until 2014 and he's in his he's in his 80s now i think he's like 84 83 so it's just it's kind of astounding and they said that he was a workaholic where he wasn't known for craftsmanship he was a very much a we have to get the work done. Uh, But when they got onto Arcadia of My Youth, he started to add more uh, animation flourishes and uh, not be as so much of a taskmaster with uh, the deadlines.
1: So in terms of where the film broadly, like the concept of the film comes from, so of course the title on its face is like an indication that this is like an origin story for Harlock, like Arcadia of My Youth. It's about Harlock when he was young. The ship is named the Arcadia, of course. But it's also Matsumoto being a huge otaku for the things that he enjoys. Uh, And he's paying homage to one of his favorite films that Sully talked about earlier, uh, Marianne of My Youth, which stars uh, one of his main artistic uh, muses, Marianne Hold, who he cites uh, over and over and over again as basically like the... His inspiration for all of his female characters are like, basically him drawing fan art of her which is very funny uh it Mostly also because takes all of his of...
4: women look exactly the same
1: they really do they i mean really, i i really love really
4: Maytel and and emeraldus and and maya and they're they're really interesting characters but they literally <laughs> i would get them confused when i was watching the film because they're <laughs> basically if you were to do a live action version of this it would be the same actress in different costumes repeatedly
1: That'd be kind of funny, actually. That'd be really funny. I was,
4: I was listening to the uh, Pure
2: Tokyo Scott podcast this week, and they did a really good send-up to, to Matsumoto. And I think the, the the thing that Patrick Macias said was, he can only draw one woman. But damn, what a woman.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Well put. I he, think... he found a formula that works, and he's stuck yeah. with it.
3: I will say, in his defense, a lot of manga. When they have that one particular uh, design or face, they just stick to it because that's what they know how to draw. Like Ichiro Oda in One Piece, all his women look very, mm, yeah, exactly. lo- look very similar in Detective Conan. All the women have a very similar body shape and face. So it's, it's pretty common of just like, I found my thing, I'm sticking to it.
1: Well, Matsumoto... And one
2: thing to note about Matsumoto is he started off drawing uh, shoujo manga, actually. Mm. So he was drawing, you know, at- attractive women, but aiming toward younger women, young girls. So it's not gazy exactly. It's more of a traditional... You know, looking back at his stage plays and these classic movies, he's aiming more toward that look.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: For his designs.
1: And, of I... course, you know, uh, Matsumoto's women are very iconic and people people know exactly what they're looking at when they see one but you know it's not like he doesn't have similar tropes for other for his dude characters as well like uh <laughs> the kid from star blazers and harlock and the kid from uh galaxy express they, they like all have like the same swoopy hairstyle and then he draws yeah. like a bunch of like unfathomably gremlins. bizarre potato gremlins <laughs> like
2: <laughs> yeah like reading the manga you're either you're either a
4: harlock or a gremlin yeah i will <laughs> say this are, i will say i'll say this two things one i am not complaining necessarily because uh, as, as Austin mentioned he's really drawing from these sort of like classical versions of, of female beauty and i kind of as someone who loves old hollywood and and older films and like that sort of glamour i appreciate his designs i just find the fact that they again they could be played by the same person <laughs> in live action just very funny and two uh, he did not watch this movie with me, but I did show my boyfriend the trailer for Arcadia of My Youth, and he paused it in the middle and he said, stop, I need you to explain something to me. And he points at Tochira and says, why do so many anime characters look like that? <laughs> and I had to explain, I, like, I think that's like a Matsumoto thing, because that's, look, of he's like, no, no, there's like the, the, the blue guy in Dragon Ball, and there's always like a guy with the pig nose and big brown glasses, and I'm like... I'll get He's back. Talking to about you. King Kai. Yes, he 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 said okay. King Kai and Totoro look the same, and I can kind of see sure. it. But maybe I'm maybe I I'm guess. otaku blind, and it's like no, they're very different characters. <laughs> what are you talking about? They're clearly different.
2: I mean, I can see some similarities. The, the thing where you see a lot of characters with glasses have the really thick glasses that have. Like circles on them, I think that's a, a trope you see a lot in anime. Like Sailor Moon's got a character that does that. Yeah, specifically, no. I I can see the I can see the comparison. Like it's not the same, but it kind of. I think you know, like tezka does the same thing where he has his. What do you? There's a term the for star. it. It's the star your, system. Like, yeah, that. Whatever. All three of you said at the same time. Star uh, system. Exactly, but like so. Um, Matsumoto does that pretty obviously. Like we, we've all mentioned this at this point. Tezuka did it. Um, Toriyama, like, let's be honest, also did something very similar. You either a Goku or you're, you know, Roshi, something like that. And you are an animal person. True. <laughs> either
4: die the Goku or live long enough to see yourself become the Roshi. <laughs> I mean, what is, what
1: is the what is the main character of Dragon Quest Eleven? Except like a color swap, different outfit, Android Eight at uh, seventeen. Eighteen, mm, uh, whichever the boy uh, one is. Seven trunks, trunks. That's it. Trunks. That's it. Yeah, because he's got a sword. Of course, it's trunks.
2: And I think the thing to point out that, like Matsumoto, like Tezuka, and in a sense, kind of like Toriyama, they're all pioneers of manga in general. Like they weren't the first, of course. Tezuka was, for the most part, but these people weren't the first. But they honestly were, like, setting those initial trends that we have come to, to know and love. And some of them, like Matsumoto's that we mentioned earlier, he's falling by the wayside in the Gundam. They kind of are evergreen, and they do come back in ways. Mm-hmm. Like Tochiro and his little gremlin face.
4: Yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it reminds me of what uh, past guest Helen McCarthy said. I think the, I don't think this was during our Matsumoto interview with her, but I think it was during our first interview, just talking about her career in general. And she said she finds it funny that you know kids will always like flock to the new shonen and think it's the greatest thing and she's not knocking that but it's like well yeah but it's it's also dragon ball and it's also harlock and it's also uh mighty adam it, these, these things kind of reverberate and so like tobias at the beginning will always kind of there will always be some form of harlock because he is uh so iconic in in the way that uh, like, to go back to what Austin said, too, it's like a fairy tale. This character, in a way, his, his stoic, unchanging quality is kind of what allows him to be this thing that has reverberated through Japanese popular culture where it's referenced and admired by all of these other creatives. And it
1: works in the reverse, too, because, you know, like, all of us, you know, we started watching anime that was probably contemporary to the time period in which we started... Like the first big anime I really got right. into was super popular at the time, uh, and it was Bleach. Uh, but watching Bleach introduced me to concepts and ideas that I would see reflected in things that came after Bleach and things that came before. Um, so, you know, me watching Gurenlag on is the reason I got interested in uh, Matsumoto, and there's there is nothing to say that that same reciprocal
4: thing won't continue to happen for anime fans for, forever. You might say it's like Matsumoto's Tokinawa that time is a circle So, our next picks are from Emma, who is uh, part of the Cybirds and Cigarettes podcast and also a fellow friend in our Discord. Uh, Her number one is Arcadia of My Youth, one of the most visually stunning pieces of animation I've ever seen in my life. Her second pick is Galaxy Express 3.9. Series and movie, I watched the series first, which seems to be the norm. There are just things I prefer in the series and vice versa with the movie, but they're both perfection. One of the most emotionally moving series I've ever experienced. Also, the score in the movie, one of the best things I've ever heard. And her third pick is Endless Orbit SXF. S. S. X. God, that is hard to say. Probably in the minority of preferring this over the 78 series, it kills me that it was cancelled. It's Harlock at his best, IMO, and showcases his friendship with Tochiro in a very touching way that transcends the typical nature of what masculinity is quote-unquote supposed to be. I'm going to steal the remaining S sx X documents like I'm in National Treasure. I know they exist somewhere.
1: So not only is the title uh, a reference to uh, Marianne of My Youth, as we alluded to, but it also takes some elements from one of Matsumoto's uh, earlier short stories that I don't think has ever been translated into English officially, called Invisible Arcadia, something that he wrote prior to Harlock, that centers around a uh, a, a plane's sight scope as a primary story element, which, you know, in the film does come up in in sort of the, the second... Uh, second half of of the of the film, so the screenplay for Arcadia of My Youth is accredited to a gentleman named Yoichi Onaka, who doesn't have very many credits to his name. Like Arcadia of My Youth is the only anime credit that is listed on the ANN Encyclopedia. But Tobias, you said he worked on some other things.
2: Yeah. So looking up Dave Merrill's blog, he actually did a blog post on Let's Anime in January. Uh, serendipitously he did a little tv writing and two Arcadian novelizations so i think you he didn't do a lot of anime he doesn't have a lot of ANN encyclopedia credits but more live action tv
3: hmm. uh, according to the commentary i think this was his first uh anime work and he was mostly and known <laughs> <laughs> and uh Primarily known for his TV work and for stage plays.
1: Well, that's another. Uh, that's another thing that is also the case for uh, the actor that plays Phantom F Harlock the First.
2: Yeah, they actually. Uh, that was uh, Yujiro Ishihara. Yeah. Yeah,
3: they. A lot of anime movies will do this, where as a promotion they'll get an actress or an actor who's primarily only done live action work, and then they will promote it as like for the first and only time this actor will be in this movie they do that all the time Hmm. in uh anime movies like they do that in all the detective conan movies where they'll have well they'll have some actor some actress who say this will be his, his or her only anime work
4: uh so what you're saying is bill if this film had been dubbed like just at the right time in America, we could have had Orson Welles playing the original Harlock. <laughs> or Chris Pratt. <laughs> um, see, oh, you no. had to ruin it, didn't you? Can you, <laughs> can, can, can you
2: imagine Harlock complaining about frozen peas? <laughs> I can't imagine Harlock complaining about frozen peas.
3: <laughs> or <get laughs> crossing,
2: in... crossing out into the pea of stars.
1: It's delicious oh. champagne fermented in the bottle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I might have to put in a clip of that too.
0: I don't understand you. Then when must what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas. When I said in July. Anyway.
1: <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, apparently onaka uh, was not the only person to work on the screenplay Uh, matsumoto speaks about it in an interview that he actually did work at length with most of the productions of his feature films during this time period even contributing some storyboards and broad story elements and even working with the director when it came to the dubbing process and being present for uh for listening to dailies and re- and uh, retakes and things like that. So uh, he he wasn't, like, making these things, but he was heavily involved, at least in this era. So a- in terms of the, the s- exactly what the film is about, so we've alluded to this a little bit, uh, the film is kind of an origin story for Captain Harlock, and it opens whenever he was a young man in the Earthman army against the Illuminous Empire, uh, basically, his side in the war loses, and he's expected to uh, fall in line and become an Earthman in service of the Empire, uh, sort of as their new colonial overlords. Uh, but he completely rejects that because of his strong ideals about freedom and uh, etc. And he meets uh, Tochiro for the first time, who is an engineer in the same army. And um, Tochiro is a staple of the Harlock cast that shows up uh, many, many times. Likewise, uh, other members of the Harlock cast like Queen Emeraldus, uh, who is another space pirate who Harlock, who they've established Harlock has a history with her, but they don't really go into it too much in this film. And then other characters like uh, Mime La Mime. Yeah, La Mime, and um, other members of the extended cast also show up. But uh, they all sort of work together to escape from the Illuminous Empire aboard the ship the Arcadia built by... Tochiro. That's basically what the film is about in a nutshell.
2: I thought it was interesting that it opens up. You know, we, we have the first scene with his ancestor trying to fly over the Stanley Witch Mountains, but the the actual first scene in the current timeline, it just opens with him piloting that that carrier full of refugees. I'm, it, mm-hmm. it was a battleship, I think, right? The, it's the, the, death, death, shadow. Yes, it the was. death
3: Shadow Which is his which yeah. is in like all the Harlock Works like that is his first major ship before the Arcadia,
1: and it's like right at the tail end of a battle that he like just lost.
2: Something like that. I was reading up, and it seemed a little like I was reading something that apparently he was trying to shuttle people off the planet, and it was caught. I think, but I think that's what really, what really makes it is it really is in media res. There, we don't really know. The situation. There's not like a Star Wars S scroll, yeah. really. I mean, we do get a scroll, but it just talks about uh, at the end of their life, all men think of their youth in Arcadia. Mm. Uh, and it's not really about the situation. So we kind of have to figure out what's going on. And one of the main parts of the Harlock, you know, complete canon is that none of these works are chronological. There is no singular Harlock mm-hmm. canon. It's just. You each one is separate. There's usually a different alien species that's invading. There's different main characters aside from the Arcadia and the crew members. So and slight like character it's vari-
3: not like, slight like character variations. Like uh, as uh, Queen Esmeraldas, sometimes she's in a relationship with Like, In this movie, she's more of a merchant, not really a pirate. And other times, she is yeah. a pirate. And so, just those slight variations. It so, makes it interesting mm. so you're never you're never getting was inter-
2: go, ahead, go ahead but what I thought was interesting is the movie opens we don't really know what's going on and there's no, no. canon to look back on if you watch the TV series that is it, sure it's an origin story on a broad level but you're not looking at the, the women who burn like paper the Mazon, for instance you're not looking at uh, Daiba Professor Daiba and his son like it's completely new material using this familiar character mm-hmm but so has the sense of being lost
1: before we get too far into talking about the movie uh sully would you mind doing our initial cast breakdown for us like who who stars in this film so
4: captain harlock is played by makio inoue who was the longtime voice of goemon ishikawa in the loop on the third series uh tochido is played by kei tomiyama who is the main character of space battleship yamato Uh, He is Yangwen Lee in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. He is Suzumu Kodai, and he is also the narrator for all of the... Well, I think all of the uh, Time Bokan series. And he is the titular uh, Ipatsuman in Gyakuten Ipatsuman, because I have to put in my Time Bokan references. Um, Mm. Emeraldus is played by (laughs) Reiko Tajima, and she is mostly known as a live-action actress, uh, appearing in lots of TV series, and she's also... Uh, in Godzilla vs. Mega Godzilla, but she's most famously known by uh, classic anime fans as the voice of uh, Oscar and Rose of Versailles. Uh, Maya, uh, aka the voice of Free Arcadia, is played by Reiko Muto, who plays various characters in the Rose of Versailles and Crusher Joe, Arion, and Sally the Witch. And finally, in a very, very small role, but I will always shout out to my queen Eiko Masuyama as the the witch of the mountains in the very first scene of the film, and all she does is cackle, and by God, is it a good cackle? It is a good cackle. <laughs> <laughs>
1: does she also play the space the stanley witch of space wait yes yeah, that's it stanley witch of space as well so she's like an interdimensional being that
4: will not die and is thousands mm-hmm. of years old you know i feel like that that's not really said it that's the case but i like your theory Austin. let's go with that the, the, the stanley witch let's is go with the most powerful being in all of harlock <laughs> it is now canon <laughs>
2: next up on our audience submitted list of favorite Matsumoto works, we have Drew, the other co-host of the Sideburns and Cigarettes podcast, who we had on a previous episode. Uh, So on his list, he has a list of things that make him cry. The first being his credit card statement, Ayo. Uh, The real first being Arcadia of my youth, probably my all-time favorite anime film, the most operatic space opera that ever offered, soliloquies. Battleship duels, a friendship that transcends centuries. Never fails to reduce me to tears. His second pick is Galaxy Express 3 the movie. One of the first anime films I watched after Castle of Cagliostro pulled me into anime and manga in general. Its themes of coming of age and mortality only hit harder as time goes on. Also never fails to reduce me to tears. And lastly, Drew's favorite is Space Battleship Yamato-2199. Matsumoto had no direct involvement in this one, but Yamato wouldn't exist without him, and his influence can be felt all over it. Downright gorgeous retelling of a classic series. That's right, this one never fails to reduce me to tears.
1: All right. So we kind of talked about, generally speaking, like how the film uh, opens up. So, you know, we, we're going through this uh, this big battle where Harlock is being uh, sort of uh, brought back to the planet's surface of, of brought back to the surface of the Earth with this crew of uh, refugees that he's trying to get away from. And basically he comes back and essentially the war is declared over. The Illuminati Empire uh, stands victorious, and Earth, for the most part, in terms of their their polit- political structure, is ready to turn over to their new occupiers. And of course, Harlock is very upset about that. He is called in to meet with the um, leaders of the enemy force, and he's just like, "I am not cool with this. I don't like us just kind of surrendering." and sort of being subjugated
3: i love the villains by the way because one is a very kind of i'm a classic by the rules military leader so i will give you respect even though we're on different sides and then his kind of assistant slash guy is the usual like the quivering coward sneaky bad guy that you just hate throughout the movie and just that, I love just Captain Harlock throughout the movie. He's never shaken. He crashes the death shadow so that way the enemy forces don't use it. And then when he goes to face them, uh, he's cool as a cucumber. And then when they say don't get in trouble, he immediately gets in trouble as soon as he leaves.
2: Yeah. I bad to say, they're like, they don't like capture him exactly they tell him okay your meeting's in two hours right so he goes he goes to blow off some steam by murdering some dudes (laughs) like in a back alley (laughs) as we all as you do yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and not only does he crash the ship so that uh, they can't use it but he does it without hurting a single one of the refugees because he's just that good what a hero what a hero so in this first scene is where he meets uh, Lamime for the first time she's working as like a like a tech secretary, like secretary. secretary. yeah basically for <laughs> for the illuminated empire but this is basically where she first shows up uh but then like you said uh, he hecks off to a bar and uh a lot of the uh military guys are just hanging out they're giving all the uh earthmen a hard time and he meets tochiro there for the first time and tochiro hands him a bottle of sake and tells him not to die which is uh, that's a that's a it's a good good first impression
2: Usually, what I do when I meet somebody for the first time—yep—hand them a bottle of hard liquor and don't die. <laughs> it's
3: kind of—it's kind of funny because when Herlock enters the bar, he immediately finds Totoro. Like they immediately find each other like that. Like um, yep. they were—they were like meant to work together.
1: Maybe it's
2: almost like their ancestors worked together, and they were like destined.
1: <laughs> it's very similar to that. Maybe the movie, the film will mention it. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they basically, they get in a bar fight, and it's a really good bar fight. It's got some good slapstick humor in there. And uh, the the space cops, they show up, and uh, Tochiro and uh, Harlock basically run off. So even though they do run off, they do eventually get captured by by the feds, by the fuzz, the space fuzz. Fuzz on their face? There's a joke here. On the space. Um, And they put them in this pod in these pods basically that i don't remember why exactly they were doing this but they basically scan their memories right and they find out that their dna or something their memories have crossed paths before in the past like ancestrally what was the what was the narrative motivation for them doing this does anybody remember
2: i personally think the narrative motivation was um, Matsumoto had this cool idea to make their ancestors match, so they had to shoehorn it into the plot
1: somewhere. I think you're right.
2: it's nothing that would make any sense to me as an invading <laughs> army. Mm. I mean, I, I think they might have mentioned that they wanted to investigate humanity and learn more about humanity, so maybe... But it is, it's weird that they just happen to have the same book, which has existed for... This is what, the 2300s that this series takes place, right? Yes. Something like that? Yes. 2300s, 2900s, something mm-hmm. like that. There's a book, a tome they both have, that looks custom-made, but is identical in all ways with the word Arcadia on the front that has survived for 400 years somehow.
1: Again, fairy tales.
3: Yeah, but that, um, that sequence, when they're going into what seems to be like world war two time uh Mm -hmm. i've conflicted about that sequence because one it's cool there's some cool dogfight um animation in that and according to the commentary all the planes are exact replicas of world war two planes so if you're a military nut, you'll probably enjoy that uh
1: well, you had to be a military nut to come up with the idea to do that in the first place. So it seems like uh, Matsumoto and Miyazaki could uh, it would shock me if they have not uh, if they had not before bonded over their mutual love of uh, war planes, even though they're both yeah, pretty staunch of- pacifists.
2: Hold up. Are you telling me that the casual Japanese audience wouldn't know what a Revy C12D gun sight is? Mm. That's common knowledge, <laughs> man. I got one of those uh, in a box somewhere. Sully so, well, has one in a box. <laughs> it was a perfect. Well,
3: guess, guess what, Tobias? So did Leiji Matsumoto because supposedly he gave his copy of the site <laughs> to the uh, animation production team so that way they could have a photo reference for the movie.
2: That's cool.
1: Nice. Man, you know, I have so much respect for for mangaka that are, like, insistent that they incorporate their weird, (laughs) non-manga-related special interest into their manga. Hirohiko Araki does this all the time. Like, there will be a chapter or an episode of Jojo that revolves around, like, this obscure insect that can do something, and somehow he incorporates that insect into the plot or into the stand or something like that, and I'm just like, you know... Araki was probably just reading the dictionary one day and thought, wow, that sounds really neat. I'm going to put that in my episode. Uh,
3: I just had one other historical fact of that scene is supposedly when that sequence takes place, it's supposed to take place after this accident of this plane that was supposed to be the first step uh, for the V-1 rocket. So it's kind of the beginning Mm. of space travel. Or the starting the, the steps towards space travel, where the incident that occurred of the uh, the crash, I think the reference in the scene is that's the precursor to the uh, the V1 rocket or the V2 rocket. My apologies, military nut people.
1: And I guess the weird, uh, definitely the big elephant in the room is that you know, whenever they go back to World War II times and uh, Harlock and Tochiro's ancestors are there. Uh they're both fighting on the side of the Axis powers. Like there's a very clear swastika painted on the tail of oh, it's, Harlock's no, no, plane. It's, it's an Iron Cross. Nope, this nope. is
2: this is World War One.
1: No, no, is it? no, there's a there's a swastika on the tail. There's an iron cross and a oh, swastika, both okay. both clearly visibly present. Yeah, For the first, apologies. the that's first
4: those... flashback with the 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 witch is World War One Phantom F one. We... Oh, yes,
1: that's what it is then. Okay, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the second flashback with Phantom Har- Phantom F Har, well, Phantom Harlock the second. I don't know if the F is present. And
2: and also Lupin the
1: <laughs> third, and and Goemon Ishikawa. <laughs> no but uh I
2: mean, imagine naming your kid phantom imagine <laughs> that and they're also german too like that, that makes no sense i'm gonna name my kid phantom phantom harlock it's
1: beautiful hey
3: beautiful. they <laughs> were big they were big into the 1930s uh radio hero the phantom and so Device. i said yeah. didn't... i <laughs>
4: sure. they're phantom yeah, I was about to say, Tobias, you, yeah, you took the... German in high school or something, so is it is the German word for phantom just der phantom? Der <laughs> phantom. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it may be. Because it in sound, French, sounds it's, dumb it's, enough to it's be phantom. Real. Like, it's just spelled differently. So, I mean, I, I'm i assuming in German it's very similar, but I, it does that thing I love about, like, a lot oh. of older Japanese media where it's like, oh, yes, this character, he, he's uh, English, or he's French, or he's American, and his name is... Is Ball Blaster McGee just the the coolest, (laughs) the coolest, but also the most impractical name anyone ever has?
2: That's going for the Tommy no names. (laughs) Now, according to the Google, the German is Das Phantom, it's a gender neutral term. Ah. Beautiful, you could also use the word for ghost, Geist, Der Geist, Mm. but MD Geist, Das Phantom, (laughs) most dangerous geist. But going back to the point, I think it's something to 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 mention. We were talking about the Wind Rises the other day in the Discord, and you know, Japan was with the Axis powers. That's that's that, and I don't think they were doing it necessarily because they were all, uh, you know, Nazis or nationalists or anything like that. They just happened to be the side they picked, and you see it show up here. You see it show up. It, partially and with the wind rises i mean hell the opening to go you know, to say that's beautiful dreamer you straight up see like them in nazi uniforms and like swastikas everywhere it's just it it is it is a big thing to us because we were on the opposite side and won the war but i can see why you would see that iconography in japan it wouldn't have quite the same meaning to them as it does to us that mm-hmm. was just a you know, a Caucasian thing to them. Again, we were all kind of foreigners, uh, you know, gaijin, So I can see them sort of mixing it all together and using it uh, as being more open to using it as said dressing in a way that is very um, problematic to us and, here in 2023. Yeah, at least.
3: To, and you have to think like Matsumoto was born in the early 30s. So he grew up during World War II. Mm. So that's going to have yeah. a major effect on your life so a lot of world war ii imagery and a lot of motifs of war from uh because of world war ii come into his work
4: i mean and, he well, does I don't mention know he had, in don't, don't... one interview that uh he remembered really identifying with scarlet O'Hara and gone with the wind when she says the line you know as god's my witness i'll never go hungry again and he's like yeah that's me i'm literally like a child of war i'm going hungry i don't want to do that so yeah he had a, he did very much experience the horrors of world war ii uh as a child Mm -hmm.
1: and i think if you look you know you look at the text of his works and you look at the way that he talks about the world and you you can tell that this is not a man who i would uh peg with having any uh fascist leanings of any kind right um but i also think that one of the and this comes up in the in the last in the final act of the film as well he he has a he has a narrative interest in like the noble rival like the idea that you know even being on different sides of a war like a a a fighter can notice a fighter and be and respect that man even though they're on the opposite side and i'm not saying that that makes drinking hell right exactly that that whole scene and i'm not saying that that sort of justifies the usage of uh, of nazi imagery or or that that should be used as like a a whitewashing of that and i don't think that that's his intention but this is it's certainly a motif that comes
4: up i mean there is that whole line where uh harlock the second says or uh i forget the name of Totoro's. uh ancestor but he asks he's like hey are you flying for the nazis or something like that and he's like well i'm paying rent and it's uh yes, you know I, that I, is looked what in- he says, I look into it you know and, and the explanation is oh well it's kind of like him saying he's paying rent in a feudal way like he's a family descended from nobility it's their job you know to be the knights for whoever's in charge regardless of their personal feelings and i'm not saying that excuses that i'm saying that's just a very interesting Right. sort of almost throwaway line because yeah it, there's a lot to unpack because one you have harlock who is very much no we will fight to our last breath we will we will defeat the Illuminus, we shall do this and then you have his ancestors like ah eh, yeah i don't like the nazis but it's my job what you're gonna do um and,
1: and I, it's one I of just... those things that may well maybe he was thinking like well if i don't comment on this then i don't i don't want to read the man's mind but maybe it's the idea of like i don't want to not comment on this because not commenting on it might be some sort of implicit endorsement so at least he did mention it in that context and i think that that was a, it it seems like a throwaway line but it, i mean it was in, it was included intentionally
4: like there was purpose there which then i oh, wonder a, why yeah, i got the go ahead. why make go ahead. harlock's ancestor german um, because uh, again, very limited knowledge of the of the Leiji verse, but uh, th- this is kind of I think where that starts, I suppose. And I when I hear Harlock, I, suppose, I don't yeah. I don't think German. I, I really don't know what kind of name you would call Harlock. It it does sound vaguely Western, but it could be uh, French, it could be German, yeah. it could be English, it could be any number of things. So I wonder i mean i suppose tachiro has to be japanese but i you could tell the story and have their ancestors work together in a way that's not necessarily connected to the second world war uh i think that's just matsumoto's (laughs) interests popping out and and that's fair i mean i'm not and i'm not even necessarily saying that that makes it a bad thing because i think it's really easy to be like matsumoto reference nazis so therefore it's like well no we have to contextualize it like this is literally a part of his life and it's not that we're excusing it but it's also like well why like you said this is his personal interest this is literally a part of history he lived through it's it's you know in many ways art is autobiographical he's putting in his own personal experience but i i find it interesting because Mm. i was not expecting that going into this film Like, I understood from osmosis that Harlock is himself not Japanese. There are Japanese characters, but he himself is not. Um, But I was not assuming he was German, and that kind of threw me for a a loop.
1: So our next one is from Coop or Writer Strike, who is one of the hosts of the Dude You Remember Macross podcast. He submits his number 1 as Galaxy Express 39, The Movie, his number 2 as Interstellar 5555 I'm actually not sure how many fives are in that, and I don't care to look it up. And his number 3 is Adieu Galaxy Express 39. He said, "I'm a weirdo who liked Arcadia of my youth, but maybe wasn't in love with it." Maybe better on a rewatch, I hope. Or maybe better after listening to a podcast about it.
2: I guess for me, I can... I guess the reason that I thought of with rises when I watched this was in that movie there are Japanese engineers that go to Germany and talk to Germans and there's scenes just pretty much mirroring this where they're really just doing it because love of aviation love of of, of of their job not so much because they believe in the war effort philosophically so I feel like maybe that that could just be a a thing that's passed down in in that story this idea of just Japanese engineering, and because we know in the story that Tochiro, he is Japanese because of his name, he is an engineer because he, you know, uh, spoiler for the podcast, built the Arcadia. Uh, it just seems like an easy story to tell, I guess. So I can I can see that. With, mm-hmm. of course, like you said, the quick the quick backpedal that no, Harlock's not a uh, he's not died in the world Nazi. He's doing this because he's a badass fighter, fighter pilot. Uh, We've already seen the Stanley Witch, so we already know that we're in the biplane era. What is the logical follow-up to that? And that would be, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, dogfighting in World War II. It just seemed to to work out that way.
1: So all of that to say, it sort of establishes... This whole sequence establishes this sort of uh, beyond-time, ancestral connection between Harlock and Tochiro, which I don't find is particularly necessary to get me to think (laughs) or to believe in their relationship as like captain first mate bosom buddies kind of thing but again it's i think it's part of this romanticization this fairy tale this like larger than reality kind of vibe that this film is trying to create
4: i don't get a homoerotic vibe from uh from Harlock and Totoro, but I do it's almost like a soulmate sort of things like these characters families are are mm-hmm. destined to be intertwined like they they have some cosmic understanding of what the other needs like I the scene where he flies him into his ancestor into uh neutral Switzerland like there's something about it that, mm-hmm. that it, it it's not romantic but it borders on the like no I have to do this because like I have some like celestial duty to you to bring you to uh (laughs) switzerland in the hope that you will bring humanity into space or something like that there's all these grand gestures of like brotherhood that i get which kind of again is like that wagnerian ring cycle like the true hero must be a a hero for his his comrade and and all of that sort of thing Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i will also mention for the record i find the nazi imagery in beautiful dreamer much more uncomfortable than i did in this in this film uh so make of that one fair what you and will.
1: true
2: <laughs> yeah i guess when i saw that it was just like oh right they were allies back then huh i don't i don't think uh uh what's his face mama uh, what's your excuse it's likewise
1: yeah uh, yeah i don't think
2: <laughs> That's, uh, you gotta you have to check the receipts. Check the receipts. That, the beautiful
1: <laughs> what dreamer. she doing? The beautiful dreamer one is literally set dressing, whereas in Arcadia, yeah. <laughs> My Youth, at least it's contextually reasonable.
3: Also, since are since it's kind of we we're talking about it, another World War II analog is Free Arcadia. It's very much in the vein of Radio Free Europe during World War II. Or you could also look at it as Tokyo Rose. To a certain extent. Mm. So,
1: yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I I kind of I kind of hopped over that in the beginning. But thank you for filling that part in.
3: Yeah, because Maya is very much kind of like the one light of to the people, just like trying to keep the morale up while Mm -hmm. the occupying force is trying to find her. And that's the big plot point in the beginning of at least the beginning of the movie is harlock trying to find maya before the before the alien government forces find her
1: right right and sort of after we have that um memory sharing sequence uh we return to the future and um harlock has this conversation with the i guess i for lack of a better term he's like the president of earth or whatever like this 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 guy that
3: He's like the it's like the Vichy government of France during World War Two, where he's, they say he's in charge, yeah. but he's not really. He's a puppet government. He's a peppermint, a puppet, puppet. A
2: fig- peppermint.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's.
1: I had to call. He's that a honestly. peppermint man.
3: <laughs> he's a puppet for the alien force. Where he's his argument is, hey, if we if we do what they want to do. We're able to keep the peace. We get to live, and everyone will be fine. So we should just keep things the way they are.
1: The Harlock is not having that, though. Like, he, he vehemently uh, tells this guy off, and re- repeatedly. And then that guy goes off and grumbles, just like, We've got to do something about this Harlock guy. Um, but before they do that, uh, our good friend Emeraldus comes down uh, from space... And uh, introduces her to Tochiro, who she hasn't met before. Uh, she alludes to being a free space trader. I'm not exactly sure what she's trading. She's I a think merchant. Really Discuss that.
3: She's like a. She says she's a merchant. Basically. Yeah, a merchant
1: for for
4: for what?
1: I was kind of seeing There's it as trade. like she's like it's a privateer.
4: Trading. Like she's a. Uh, how can I put this? My assumption was like maybe she's dealing in like black market goods. like she steals and she theme. like, hey, you got something to sell. I've got something to buy. That sort of thing, right? So she shows
1: up she she and uh, Tochiro get to know know each other. Um we get a firefight where Harlock attacks some dudes again and he gets uh, shot in the eye. I think I think this the purpose of this fight is he was gonna try and go rescue maya who he has a history with who is again like bill said the the voice of free arcadia the radio broadcaster and uh in that firefight he gets shot in the eye which uh brings us to him getting his um iconic eye patch is that when all when he gets the scar as well or did he already have the scar
4: he already has the scar he already
1: had this okay
3: yeah he already had it
1: that's right because the scar because the scar is genetic, apparently, because even his, his ancestors have it. <laughs> That's how that works, right? Absolutely.
2: I think you got the scar confused because we do see Emerald Daz get a scar later to explain her
1: face. That is right. <laughs> that
2: is right. Uh, you know, Let's see. I, I, we mentioned that character development doesn't need to happen in the movie earlier, but I wasn't expecting this to be Star Wars story as you know solo levels of prequel explanation i was
1: i was totally <laughs> gonna mention that it's, that is crazy
2: it's when i first watched the movie that was way before those movies came out the new marvel like paradigm but afterward that part hasn't aged well you <laughs> we gotta this see solo a everything. star
1: wars story way back <laughs> but i
3: th- that's oh, oh, I th- that's dear. not that's an unfair comparison though because this came out way before those start. I know. I know, I, I know it's hard well, to get out here. I mean, of here. it's still.
2: Well, I mean, they're still basic. That's. A, well, let's talk about the. I got. I got complaints about this movie. We can get into. <laughs> let's not interrupt well, you, in the middle. <laughs>
1: do Do your Do your complaints begin now, or do they begin shortly?
2: <sighs> it's It's mainly the start. Is that this really feels like a checklist movie? And yes, even with the a benefit of of foresight in twenty twenty three. They feels just kind of like a whatever prequel movie. Maybe this is the prequel movie that the the youth of Japan were looking for in what eighty two. But mm-hmm. if, ah. as someone as someone who's an adult who knows Harlech as a figure that's not watching this, it falls short in a lot of ways.
1: Well, well, let's hold on to that. Let's keep going through the story, gotcha. and then we'll we'll address these these uh, complaints as we go along because you might not be alone in this. So kind of in the background of all of this there is this group of soldiers who are not affiliated with the empire but they're also not earthlings I think they're from well, this planet they're... called Tokarda right
2: Yeah so they're they're basically the 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 people that were taken over before earth another alien species that the Illuminus you know absorbed into their empire that are being used as soldiers The, the implication right. is that earth is going to be used after the
1: Tokargans are all and Lamime is part of this race as well
2: which is weird because we see another female Tokargan and she's not Lamime at all no
1: not at all it is a little confusing isn't it yeah um, but basically they have that going on there's this uh rebel sect there and they approach Emeraldus's ship to try and steal it so uh they they get on they get on her bad side Um, But but basically they talk it out and they they come to an agreement that Harlock is just like, well, I don't want to submit to the Illuminum Empire either. You don't want to submit to the Illuminati Empire. So they 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 drink wine manly. They have a manly exchange of wine drinking and they they become one as uh, as as brothers Mm. in their plight. I mean, Um,
2: it's said there was no homerotic ways, but kind of wondering now
1: (laughs) they don't kiss. They certainly don't do that uh (laughs)
2: there's no kissing they just trade wine from lips to lips
1: (laughs) there's no kissing until ssx right bill
2: (laughs) that's why it's called sex (laughs) Uh,
1: so uh, uh out of the blue or maybe not quite out of the blue tochiro reveals he's just like hey did you guys know that I've been building a giant spaceship in this giant (laughs) underground cavern that nobody has noticed for like a long time and probably doing it by myself. And Harlock's just like, what? So they, uh, they run down and they uh, board or they, they, they um, while being chased by the Illuminans, they uh, board the, uh, the ship that Tochiro has built for the crew called the Arcadia, of course.
2: I'm going to assume, just, just based on that, it, it, I don't think he was building it in secret the whole time. Since we know he's an engineer, he's probably working on it with the Earth Empire, possibly as a secret weapon before you the think so? armistice. Mm. It it has to be, because it, it makes no goddamn sense. I, but they, lost, they just lost the war. That's, they, they just lost the war. Let's not...
3: That's not cinema sins. This. That's not cinema sins. I was this. <laughs> going to say that we
4: at <laughs> no, the beginning of the film we see uh, Tochiro and Harlot's like, "Hey, why do you pretend that you're like a, a vagabond when you know you're you're not?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, it's got advantages. So maybe he has been doing this for like a while now. That's yeah. that's plausible. Plausible.
2: I'm just gonna guess based on how big the ship is that they were working on it probably probably a while it doesn't explain e- it in the, in the movie yeah it, but.
1: it doesn't really matter like it's totally just a minor detail no it, it doesn't matter but basically yeah Tochiro has this ship uh that they that they all board and and uh harlock becomes the captain they unfurl this giant pirate flag that they hang from the back of it and the arcadia i just have to say is a incredibly designed vessel like i love the way that this thing looks iconic for a reason it's beautiful it's like the perfect pairing of like a spaceship and a pirate ship i just i have no complaints absolutely no notes on the arcadia
3: i love that in each harlock adaptation they do slight changes to it so like the bow of the ship is different in one adaptation to the other one. This one, the, the ship that we see in Arcadia My Youth is not the exact same ship that we see in the Rentaro spaceship, uh, space captain Harlock TV series. So just, it's interesting just the slight variations on the designs. Mm.
1: There probably has to be some changes in adaptation of the Arcadia between... Entries because of the complexity of TV of movies versus TV, they probably mm-hmm. could afford to make the ship a little bit more detailed in the film.
2: This is one of the situations where I feel like they wanted to differentiate as well. This is they wanted to make sure you know this is not the same timeline. This is different, albeit similar. Similar, but they wanted to give the Arcadia a fresh new coat of paint.
1: This is Arcadia Langley Shikinami versus Arcadia Langley Soryu. <laughs>
4: picks are from matsumoto superfan count zero or his choices are number one harlock endless odyssey number two harlock 78 and number three galaxy express 999 the tv series
3: to mention the uh, mech designer let's, let's see if i get this right guys <laughs> Katsumi uh it's about it's abashi uh he close enough oh sweet uh he is Good job thank you he's the primary uh, mech designer for the arcadia and all the ships and he started out as an assistant for Leiji matsumoto and has done basically every single almost every single mech design for every uh, Matsumoto anime adaptation so there's always been a, a consistency with the ship designs
0: mm.
3: which is really cool i think the only thing he's not he wasn't involved in was the 20
2: 2013 uh cgi yeah that doesn't count we don't <laughs> we don't yeah. talk about that <laughs> i think we get yeah. we're going to get shot if we talk about that
1: shot in the eye and have to wear an eye patch Uh,
2: that'd be kind of cool actually
1: yeah i want to be a pirate so in all of the confusion of Tochiro and company uh rushing down to get the ship which they launch up out of the ground like they don't launch it out of like a launching bay that it just like comes out of the ground doesn't it
3: i love that shot that shot's so cool
1: i love that it it reminded me a lot of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2, where we uh, go <laughs> where uh, the Flying Dutchman just like raises up out of the out of the ocean, like in this majestic, harrowing, destructive form. Uh, just love that stuff, it's very cool. Oh, yeah. um, not a scratch on it.
2: <laughs> I think one of the things they bring up here, and again, a probably a little Terminator fact, but because they have the big skull on the front here, it's kind of meant to be a ramming ship, totally it's fine i mean he literally does that at the end of the movie so (laughs) it makes sense
1: so whenever they whenever they rise up and get into uh the sky they notice that oh in the in the confusion of of the rushing around and everything maya and emeraldus somehow got captured by the illuminance and they are being crucified uh and what what's their ultimatum or something like that like
2: they won't hard like to come back because he takes off into into orbit but they obviously don't want him to escape. Ransom, I guess? What's, what's the word? Kidnap? Hold hostage? Yeah. Hold
1: hostage. Hold hostage his girlfriend. But, but but there's something like they don't think he'll actually do it because he believes in his ideals too much or something like that. There, yeah. There's some sort of tension there where they're like, oh, Harlock, he's never coming back.
2: The, uh, the, the big deal here, and it sort of ties into the original the original uh, work, is that humanity is kind of given up. As a whole, and so what they want to, to show here is that if if he doesn't come back, then he's given up humanity and will lead humanity into despair. But if he does, then they can they can they can take him and kill him mm-hmm. as he comes back, something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. So they they kind of they wait for a day. They kind of do this this standoff, where Maya and Emeraldus are are hanging out in in captivity, and Harlock is kind of. Uh, holding his cards. And then... like, at the last... very, very last moment... that they're going to... Um, finally pull the trigger... and execute Emeraldus and Maya... the uh, Tokargan... militia, basically... shows up and just... completely wrecks... the Illuminan soldiers. And then, not only that... but the... Earthmen... civilians start revolting against the Illuminum, uh soldiers as well, which I thought was an interesting and intentional contrast between the way that the Earthmen are portrayed in the manga. Um, and I know you, Bill, and Tobias have read the manga more recently. It seems like the portrayal of Earth people more broadly is a lot more cynical Whereas here, like, I know it's a small scene, but they're they're showing that all, all of the portrayals of the Earthmen here are either as victims or as freedom fighters.
4: I will point out there's one uh, other thing we see of the Earth people is when we go to the, the weird bar at the beginning of the film where uh, Harlock first meets Tochiro and they start the fight, we see... Uh, illuminous men with what appear to be earth women and uh i find that it's kind of like not even remarked upon but i find that very interesting that there are these these earth women who are flirting and and going out with the invading armies men essentially so we kind of get that too yeah that's
1: fair it's fair kind of doing both both sides here
2: i do you think it's interesting in this that in so much sci-fi now, we have a really weird, surreal alien species. Harlock is going back to the the classic well of, well, they're just different colored people.
0: <laughs> they're
2: they're green tinted people. So, okay, I can just see why they would just. It's kind of just a stand-in for any occupying Earth, hell, human force. Honestly, right, really no right. different. It could, they just happen to be. They just happen to have big eyebrows.
1: <laughs> and yeah, any any stand-in for any sort of military power that's uh, trying to colonize some something else.
2: I, I feel like, again, that we, we're looking at the similar thing, but in different ways, that Earth has fallen into some sort of despair, and Harlock is disgusted with it, and will rise above and do his own thing. Whereas in the original, Earthmen Are Decadent, uh, we see the president of the world there. He's going to ballet and opera, and he wants to play golf all day, and he doesn't care about the alien showing up. He just it's, it's something to handle tomorrow, never today. Whereas here, it's more desperate they've they've lost a war the president here he's not doing it because he's decadent he's doing it because he just wants to survive and he doesn't want to fight anymore
1: Mm -hmm. they do make that clear that is an interesting thing that they do make clear they they set out the president i mean i think we're set up to dislike him but they do set him mm -hmm. out as like he's doing this in his mind in the best interest of the earthlings because he knows that like maybe he's done the internal calculations and he thinks that surrender is just the best option to have as many people die as possible. And, you know, he's set up as an antagonist against Harlock, but he's also set up in a somewhat sympathetic way.
2: And I, I am kind of wondering if they do this in, Endless orbit SSX, uh, Bill, maybe you can shine a little light on how they do that with the humanity.
3: From my vague recollection, it's basically the, the people on the Arcadia in SSX are the last of humanity, and they're trying to they're trying to find a home. So it's kind of like Battlestar um, Galact- Battlestar Galactica. Gotcha. If anybody, if anybody's yeah. seen that, okay.
2: Yeah. So in this case, it's 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 less that. Oh, okay. So basically, in, in this in Arcadia, my it looks like we're we're rebooting the Harlock verse in a way, and he wanted to take a similar idea but do it convey it in a very different manner between yeah. the the decadent earth earth Man and the um the losing earth Man, i guess so in a post-war <laughs> earth because the there was That's no nice. war in the original there was no war they lost so i can see them wanting to revisit or see Matsumoto wanting to revisit that in a more mature theme in a more mature instance here because let me tell you that original series is is definitely a kids show it is goofy mm-hmm.
3: And the little girl in the original show is much more the focus. Whereas yeah. Harlock in this movie and in the and in SSX are the focus.
1: So during this one of them during the shootout where the soldiers rescue uh, Maya and Emeraldus, which, by the way, I did want to gripe a little bit. With Emeraldus being as cool as she is, I feel like she she barely gets to do anything in this movie.
3: Well, that's a problem with a lot of Leichi Matsumoto's women characters. is They're actually kind of one-dimensional, if you think about it. like uh, Maya is kind of the wiltering heroine that is supposed to die for dramatic emotional effect. And that is all her character. And as, as Esmeralda doesn't really get a lot of the screen time to give us either more ideas of her character or what she's going through. She's very much just, I'm a support character.
1: Yep, it's kind of a bummer. But um, in, in the firefight, one of the leader of the Tokargans is killed and we don't really see the significance of that until the next act. Uh, but that that is definitely something that happens and occurs.
2: We can we can mention that because that, that kind of follow-up to what we're saying about humanity. Uh, basically, after this, the, the, i think one of the bigger goals they wanted harlock to go to tokarga for some reason i can't remember the exact reasoning maybe it was to get the
1: uh oh no the reason off? the reason they did it is because they thought that tokarga was still the home that they remembered and they just wanted to go back
2: oh okay yeah so they they do eventually conscript harlock into taking them to tokarga albeit on their own um, their own means and not through the Illuminans. They get up. It's on its last breath. The Illuminans have activated a planet destroying bomb. that will go off and, you know, at a dramatic, dramatically appropriate time. We get the last, the last female Tokar again, this little girl. Ugh. I think is the sister. Isn't it sister to, yes, the to sister, Zol? Yeah. The, the guy Zol, that died. Zol, yes. Mm-hmm. And we see, uh, another, another, we see, um, Harlock's Chewbacca show up. Mr. Bird. He gets Tory.
1: <laughs> Tori. Tori. <laughs> he he gets Mr. Bird. Yeah, we got to ch- check that off the list. He, had to, he gets iconic, yep, his Chewbacca moment. Absolutely. It's a
2: Chewbacca moment. Uh, he gets an alien bird that just shows up. Uh, and the planet blows up. Oh, no. That's terrible. The last Cargans, there's like 10 of them left or something like that. But then yep. we get into then, the the parallel to the first scene. They come across this huge nebula, like it's, a, it's some sort of harsh environment. I think there's like solar flares going on. It's, yeah. It doesn't matter because what they call it. Um, go ahead.
3: It's supposed to represent the the mountain that we see in the beginning of the movie. It's
2: yeah. They and, they somehow four hundred years later have called this little hostile nebula the Stanley Witch of Space. So they've uh-huh. gone through you know this geography in Papua New Guinea that the actual mountain is and named it that for some reason why not <laughs> uh, can can <laughs> i talk about
3: how just how gorgeous that sequence is like all the fire effects mm-hmm. on it that surround the ship just oh so pretty i think that's like
2: my... i think go ahead i go ahead. think this could have been the end of the movie if i'm being honest like this is the dramatic point we learned mm-hmm. that you know, the the have the spark, like they're pretty much mirroring humanity. Like this could be you, you know, this could be us. If someone, you know, the hero of the film doesn't step up and be the hero, and we see this huge dramatic shot, like Bill said, this gorgeous, uh, gorgeously animated, like you got stuff happening, silver is popping off. This could have been the the dramatic end of the movie, but then it keeps going for like another act or two.
1: Yeah, that was the thing. Like, I feel like, narratively, it wouldn't have felt very satisfactor- satisfactory to end here, but it feels like it really should have. This should have been, like, the final thing. But then the the final, final act is that the leader of the Illuminan Empire, at least the one station there on Earth, uh, basically meets them up in space near Tokarga, near the Stanley Witch of Space, and is basically like... We're going to have one final showdown, Harlock. He's so the... they do like a very... Uh, he's, doing like
3: the, a... he's doing the honorable thing where he says at the beginning, like the sniveling assistant is like when Harlock comes down to rescue the people that are hanging on the crest, we could shoot him! And the uh, leader's going, no, that's not the honorable thing we need to do. I will fight him mm-hmm. in space mm-hmm. as an honorable military leader. Fight him one-on-one in mm-hmm. space combat. Mm-hmm. And they do. You know, I hate to be they... that
2: guy, but you say sniveling. I say smart. <laughs> <laughs> you've got like, it's so weird about this movie. The Illuminants like so have roundly conquered humanity. And they put these two like incompetent dudes <clears throat> at charge of the planet. You've got the one old war war dog that like, he's dishonorable. He doesn't matter. He lets Harlock go really at the end of the day. And then you've got the one guy that literally lets Harlock go go for two hours and murk some dudes before he comes up to his appointment. <laughs> like I don't know. Maybe hey, I'm man. used to more more fascist things like <laughs> depictions in media nowadays. But I I if I if, if I ran the zoo, if I were in Illumin, I would have shot Harlock second one. Like done. Listen man. Movie over. Just,
1: we won <laughs> it's it's just true to reality, right? Fascism and incompetence go together like chocolate and peanut butter.
2: <sighs> I guess so. <laughs> But in the very least, we get a cool, we get a cool like final showdown that that we is do. also
1: badass. It is very cool. It's like an 18th century like. Uh, it's like the it's like the pirate yeah, It's the it's the pirate ships. battle. Mm.
3: It's the pirate ships coming across mm. the bow and shooting at each other and saying yeah. who lives.
1: Yep, yep, and that's basically what happens. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Harlock and the team are victorious. Shocked to hear
3: that. With with the awesome end song, which. I'm going to ask you to put on the podcast at some point.
2: Next up, we have Cory, the host of the Taikyu the podcast, as well as Manka in your ears, and a co contributor to the Awesome cast, I believe, as well. Uh, his list is comprised of the Galaxy Express 39 movies, Interstellar 5555, and Space Battleship Yamato 2199, sort of. He also wanted to give a shout-out to the Interstellar 5555 sequel, Interstellar, from 2013.
4: I would like to point out uh, that because I was with my partner when, when we were doing this, I watched the dub, uh, oh. which is certainly something. Oh, the classic though. Yeah, the classic dub, which, to be fair, I've, I've come to found that it's, like, accurate to what they're saying in Japanese. It's just the acting is, uh, something. <laughs> but when Bill mentions the song, they have someone singing an English cover of the song, and it is very funny.
1: Mm. <laughs> Might have to put that in here, too. Yeah, it is, it is,
4: it is a treat. Like, uh, I could not find this streaming with Um, the japanese version so i just i just went to where it was streaming on tubi with the english version and i'm kind of glad i didn't make my boyfriend watch this with me because i feel like the movie itself is 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 rather good but the dub would not sell it to someone who's a very casual fan of anime i feel like if you're someone who can tolerate a a very it's very much like you can tell this is these are people who are not actors by trade they just happen to speak english and they live near a dubbing studio in japan when they do this
1: well, anybody listening to this podcast knows that Austin is a resident dub enjoyer. And even I had a difficult time switching back and forth between the Japanese and the English dub for this one. I just, I could not do it. It did not work for me.
4: The voice that Tochiro has, when he first appears, uh, and he's just like, hey, you need to stay alive. It's like, that's not, that's not, no. Okay, I know what mm-hmm. K. To- Tomiyama sounds like, and that's not what I would do to have like, that's not the voice for a character voice by Kei Miyama I have to wonder, what did Tori sound like?
1: Uh, very much like this! Bah, bah.
4: <laughs> like, it's very comical when it's like, No, we want Zol to be alive! He should be alive! It's like this character That's is right. just all the pathos is just robbed. <laughs> <laughs> right because like all
1: most of what tory says in this movie is just crying and being sad that the guy
4: he knew died well my my interpretation was that it wasn't that Tori was like a parrot that he's just repeating what the people who had died were saying um maybe maybe i, I mean i don't know but the the
1: tears the tears were real
4: sully the tears, the tears, the tears were real, were real. <laughs> i don't know like I the dub and is he's always been
2: comic is... relief anyway so yeah like the cartoon
3: they, in the commentary they say the dub is just it was done on the cheap where they don't even know who the cast is there's some guesswork really but, but there's no official documentation that shows like who who was in the dub and that it was basically done was like so is this like let's, the let's go.
1: is this like the uh, mystery of mamo airplane dub
3: probably it just like let's make a dub quickly cheaply and get it out there
4: mm-hmm. let's put it this way there's a reason why if you want the original japanese you have to order the blu-ray from discotech and if you want to watch the dub you can just find it streaming for free on 2 tv.com uh or <laughs> on midnight pulp uh you know the usual places where cheap anime dubs live somehow officially
2: so really, I don't know the exact details, but I would recommend you go check out, again, uh, Dave's Let's Anime blog post about this. He mentions it uh, briefly how there was a lot of anticipation for this movie. They had seen some Harlock before. They heard that Arcadia was this sort of gritty reboot, the origin story of this badass character. So they were chopping in the, bit, waiting for someone to bring over Arcadia in my youth to, you know, to English speakers. And the dub was, like, it's called Vengeance of the Space Pirate, was the the title of that initial one. And it was, yeah, it, it certainly didn't sell anybody on this movie. A uh, lot of a lot of disappointment at that initial release, for sure. So mm. to, to, when I saw the disc critic had it on the disc, I didn't listen to that because I enjoyed my sanity. Thank you very much. But I'm glad that one <laughs> of us sacri- made that sacrifice.
1: <laughs> so now that we've basically gotten to the end of the film, like, broadly speaking... What do we think of it? At least for me, the first time I watched it, my initial feelings about it were pretty positive. I liked it a lot. It was like my first Matsumoto thing that I really watched for real. Um, I watched it probably like twenty, seventeen, eighteen 18 for the first time. So a number of years ago. Hadn't sat down with it until for this podcast. And I think, broadly speaking, I still liked it. But a lot of its flaws stood out to me a lot more this time around. But I think when it's good, it's really good. And when it's not so good, it's like either disappointing or kind of boring. Or I wish there was just more. I wish there was more character to it. I wish there was more humor to it. Like a little bit of levity. Like it has this larger than life melodrama going on. But it seems to be a little bit anti-fun, and I like fun. I'm a fun liker, and this movie doesn't have as much fun as I would kind of want it to have for a story about pirates.
4: I will say this. So having watched the dub, and being the only one of us who did, I actually think that puts me in an interesting position because I kind of liked this movie in spite of the dub, and I am I want to, to, to watch the original Japanese now. Like... I agree with Austin that it is very anti-fun and it it does drag in places like regardless of the language you're watching it in there are scenes that just sort of drag and the what feels like it should be the final act is really not it um but there's something about it that just still is very charming and I don't know if it's the animation because the animation even for a theatrical film of, of even this vintage is a little on the cheap side um it, it it's it, there's something about it that i think just is kind of grand that i i want to i want to have a more pure experience with it like the fact that i was able to watch the dub as bad as it is and get all the way through it i think is a testament to the the strength of the story in some respects because i think i any other thing i would have just been like okay this is bad i'm turning it off i'm not going to even bother like trying to get through the dub um but I think it, it if I can watch the dub and kinda of want to see more, I feel like that says something about it, if that makes any sense. No, totally. Makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think I think to to key off that, for me, I believe it's a lot of just the strength of these of these icons. I keep keep coming back to that, but I feel about Captain Harlock the same way that I feel about Superman. They are both larger than life, iconic characters that represent what they represent is a lot more interesting to me than who they actually are in the text. Clark Kent, we know that story. We know Superman's about us. We know his powers. I find Superman horrendously boring. I have always been bored by Superman, but what is interesting about that character is sort of what he represents as a, as a superhero in general. And that's really what I came away of Arcadia of my youth. The first time I saw this in college, my first actual Harlock experience, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. I thought Harlock is a badass. I like the Arcadia, the spaceship battles were pretty awesome. But the more I see it now, the more like the 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 more movie watching experience I have under my belt, the more general experience I have. It was kind of hard when you look past that, because when you look past these sort of iconic Harlock bad badassness. When we look past seeing Toshiro as the plucky sidekick character, it was kind of it kind of bored me. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I hate to say it, but it's I don't really found I don't really found it that engaging. Like it could have been. I, I I do feel like it could have been better overall. But I I do have to again wrestle with myself, comparing it back to Superman and that this is iconic for a reason. This is before. We mentioned Solo earlier. This is before... Okay, this came out right after Star Wars did, but before Star Wars really had its huge, quite as huge, of a cultural revolution. At least the original Harlock series did, for sure. Um, this is before all the stories that we know now. This is before the, the, the stories that have become formulaic now. So it's something I have to, to, to grapple with, that as a romantic character, Harlock doesn't need to grow. But in a movie... I need character development. I need to see him actually struggle. The very first thing we see is him decide to go off and kill two dudes. A scene that is repeated in the animation. I might add when he gives the same exact thing 30 minutes later in the exact yeah. same frame in a movie, repeated animation, a movie like again, does Harlock need to grow? Probably not. I think in a movie, I would like to have seen that a little more. I would like to see more than a checklist of, okay, this is how he gets his eye patch. This is how he gets the Arcadia. This is how he meets Queen Emeraldus and she gets her scar. And fortunately, it felt like they were taking those boxes off. Now, maybe that was a more of a novel idea in 82 than it is now. Unfortunately, that's something I have to grapple with now. It really feels like this would have been badass had I been that youth that had seen Harlock on TV. Had I read those original comics that... If you go back and read it, are pretty, they're pretty childish. They're incredibly childish. If I was that age to enjoy it, I would have eaten this movie up because of how badass it is. But for better or for worse, yeah. I'm a 36-year-old American. So <laughs> what, I think what this can movie, I say?
1: I think this movie rides really hard on the coolness factor. And mm-hmm. I give it nothing but credit for that because it is very cool. Yeah. The iconography yeah. is great. The characters as, as concepts are very, very cool the uh, ideologies behind it about you know fighting for freedom fighting for what you believe in and sort of being your own person is uh that's cool great stuff the the action and the animation are like some real peak 80s um excellence Uh, but yeah there's just a few little things here and there that i wish the film had to sort of elevate it to that next level where i would have been like ah yes this is a 10 out of 10 adventure movie and for me, it just falls short of the mark a little bit, even though I still enjoy and appreciate it.
2: And, and, before, and before, before we turn it over to Bill to completely tear us down and tell us, okay, this movie is, I think <laughs> at the end of the day, though, I will say that it has me more interested in other things. Like I mentioned seeing Galaxy Express 39 back in the day, and I've kind of put that off for a bit. But since I know he shows up, and I know that, that is more of Matsumoto's sort of another story he wants to tell about finding yourself. It does have me more interested in checking out more stuff. I just unfortunately don't think I'm going to get it in the mainline Harleck stock. So, Bill, take it away.
3: <laughs> okay. Austin, you can <laughs> cut this out. One, Tobias, I can give you some Superman comic recommendations because there are good Superman books.
1: I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> uh, uh, Bill,
2: as long I'm as you understand that, that I, as long as you understand, Bill, I'm not going to read them. I will be polite. <laughs> I will take them and they will gather dust in a corner. I guess
3: I guess I won't
2: read your recommendations then, huh?
0: Oh, buh,
3: buh,
2: buh.
0: <laughs>
2: quid pro? pro. I, just, For, I mean, quid pro no? Like, I just maybe there are. I admit there would be. I probably should watch some of the movies. Like I've heard things you, about it that
3: you you okay would you be should, interesting. You I just watch, find the character board you, you should watch the '70s Superman movie, and you should watch the Superman the animated series because those are great.
2: Dude, really. Yeah, I mean, I've I wanted to watch the what the Christopher Christopher Reeves, right? Yeah, with or the that's, original that's, Superman. Yeah,
3: that's the one I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've wanted to go back and watch those. Those were before my time. Like the first movie I think I ever saw was Batman '89, and that's sort of like iconic to me. But because the the Superman stuff was earlier, I just never got around to it. And that's something I've been meaning to for sure. I've heard the DC animated stuff is decent. I just it's it's up I and think down. There's a point where I realize that it's. I have a I have a finite amount of time left on this earth and I just don't know if I'm gonna get around to the yeah. DCU. That that is what you and Ryan are here for. <laughs> and okay. Sully. Sully's well, into that too.
3: Well okay. That, this is another podcast, that, <laughs> so I'm gonna get us back on track to cap to uh Arcadia in My youth. I think watching it with the commentary I appreciated this movie more. Is this movie perfect? No. I think it's way too long and I think that's a constant issue with a lot of way like, Matsumoto works. Like recently I tried to watch Galaxy Express 999 the movie and that movie is also super long to the point where I would zone out and go to my phone a lot and then come back and start the movie again. And I did that also during Arcadia my youth. Um, but. I think what Me I do, did...
1: man. I watched it at three sittings, no shame.
3: No, I, I watched it in one sitting. I just oh. uh, I, I paused and went to the phone for like ten minutes and then went back. But
1: I
2: can already feel Austin getting sleepy here, you say <laughs> that. I'm already asleep.
3: <laughs> but I what I appreciate about this movie was one, I appreciated some of the animation flourishes. I know they reuse some stuff, but this is kind of the tail end of the Toei... We're going to put money into things before before they kind of had to go more on the cheap and focus more on their franchises like Dragon Ball, like uh, One Piece, Sailor Moon, what uh, and whatnot. Where well, there's some great flourishes here, like the sequence with the fire mountain in space, gorgeous to look at. I love the facial expressions throughout the movie and just kind of the... the and, I think I also would argue back as I would say this movie isn't fun, it's a drama because of all the sadness and moroseness that comes with the plot and just the characters are always in the perpetual kind of sadness mood. So it's really, you have to go into this movie with a certain sort of, I know what I'm getting and I know the type of uh, tone it is. But I'm not saying this movie is perfect. I'd, I'd give this movie probably like a seven out of 10. It's a good, I think it's a good movie. And I think there are some things that are to be admired, but I don't think it's perfect. I think it's way too long. And there's some things that they could have obviously cut, like the World War II flashbacks and the ending overstay their welcome and probably should have been cut. I
2: think, uh, Oh, another way to put it for me would be managing expectations. The thing I tried to do a lot more of, but failed to do here. I think of Harlock being on this huge, on this like tall pedestal, you know, his origin movie has got to be awesome. It's called Arcadia My Youth. That's a, that's a badass title. title mm-hmm. because he didn't quite live up to the expectations I had that I set it on. I think maybe that's why I come away disappointed. That is it. it I, I will give it credit where credit's due, but I do feel like maybe, I don't know. Came away a little little disappointed because my high expectations.
1: So what do we all think is the next Matsumoto thing that we are most interested in checking out next? For me, I think because I also watched Galaxy Express 3.9, the film, probably about a year or two ago and I really liked it. I think I overall liked it more than Arcadia of my youth. So I think the next thing I'm going to check out is Adieu, Galaxy Express 3.9.
4: I guess for me, the next thing I'll be checking out is the the Yamato manga because I, I, I own it, um, and I bought it pretty much blind. Uh, I I kind of do want to give more Harlock a chance, but I mean, even though I feel like I gave a more a more positive review than than you and Tobias Austin, um. I, I, I still have issues with it. Like, I wasn't sucked into the world as much as I, I kind of wanted to be. But hearing you guys talk about it, I think I would enjoy uh, Galaxy Express 3.9. And it, it's always sounded more surreal and, and, and less space opera-y than Harlock. So maybe I would enjoy that. Like, I feel like there has to be something in the Matsumoto-verse for me. Um... But I'm just not sure what it is, so maybe it'll take some more, some more digging around. But I did, I mean, I didn't hate watching *Harlock*. I just I feel like I could have had maybe a better introduction to it than this film. Right.
2: I think for me, I also want to like look up or or in, dig into the uh, *Galaxy Express 39* series. But honestly, I think I would like to see if there are any. Uh, like fan sub scanlations, or whatever of his original manga so He's doing a lot of stuff before even base battleship Yamato. And like I mentioned, it was more shoujo oriented stuff. So that may be something you may want to even look into Zelle, uh as well. i may be you something that's more closer to the stuff that you like than space opera, Pew Pew manly manliness and space stuff.
1: One can only hope that the, uh, the success of his manga, uh, coming over here and hopefully it's been successful I do uh, no reason to think and not no
3: no no
1: <laughs> what it hasn't
3: yeah those Yama, yamato didn't sell well and uh from what we've seen with their other classic collection lines on seven seas stuff's getting released but they're doing stuff on a budget like the common Rider book the common Rider book that's a massive tome that should have been split among two or three books so i think they are putting stuff out but they know they're not getting high enough sales numbers on them like i'm, I'm glad captain harlock came first because put releasing it in three sets uh, makes it more digestible than the common writer set which is just an 800 pound gorilla to read
1: i guess i'll have to force my library to buy it
4: all i'll say this uh i when i did the barnes and noble sale i bought uh, Lupin the Third, The Greatest Heists, uh, Devilman Volume 1, the classic hardcover release, and Yamato. And I was told that the Lupin release, that the the images were kind of grainy and pixelated, and I was like, I don't know how much I can screw up Lupon. and it's a little true. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's them trying to blow up art that wasn't as large as that or what it is, but I was kind of like, eh, I feel like there might have been a better way to do this. Um, but then again, that volume was also based on a Japanese one. Maybe it's the same in the Japanese version of Greatest Heists. Um yeah. and real quick to go with Tobias, even though there isn't an official English translation, that essay by Jonathan Tarbox that I interviewed him about, he goes through the cockpit <laughs> manga fairly uh mm. in depth.
2: All right. I gotta yeah. finally I gotta finally check that out from my local library branch. <laughs>
1: mm. You absolutely should. I'm pretty sure that y'all have it we do yep of course the book uh sully is talking about is uh leji matsumoto essays on the anime and manga legend is that the right title that uh you did a wonderful series of interviews for last year that of course will be in the show notes on third impact
4: tobias i have a question do you this one yes when I saw your letterbox review for this film, you say it has a lot of blue milk in it, and I need you to explain that to me as someone who's never seen a single Star <laughs> Wars. What is the blue milk? What is so the blue, blue milk mi- in Harlock? There's
2: a there's a, a single thing in the first movie. We'll get Bill later. Uh, they had blue milk, and it was just a thing they were drinking blue milk in a scene. But through the new movies, they brought out blue milk. More characters are drinking blue milk constantly and there's little throwbacks like that like they're rummaging through a box full of trash and it has one particular little robot that was in the first movie there's just a bunch of checklist references in the new stuff and that's kind of what it felt like here that they're just checking things off for the original thing
1: so blue milk is just a stand in for th- quote things they feel like they have to reference it's, it's them
2: like needling you like oh look we're, we we know what you fans want we're. This is a thing you should know. If you're a real fan, you know how Harlock drinking his blue milk in the bar. Because <laughs> you're a real fan.
1: That's why Tori had to show up. Yeah,
2: exactly. Like you're on the space planet, and there just happens to be a goofy ass looking bird. He's the goofy of the Harlock verse. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you guys again so much for joining me for this episode. Uh, We kind of hate the circumstances that brought us to this review with the passing of Matsumoto-san, but I am grateful that we got a chance to talk about this, and it probably won't be the last time that we talk about some of his works um, uh, going forward. So if you want to look back at the wonderful interview series that Sully did a couple years ago about Matsumoto's work and that... uh, book that Helen McCarthy and Darren John Ashmore worked on. You can find that over on our website, thirdimpactanime.com, as well as a index of all of our previous episodes, including show notes for this episode and others. And uh, Tobias, do you want to talk about the hopefully upcoming return of a certain sub show?
2: Uh, yeah, so, um, PLVR, Bill is playing Final Fantasy 14 again, which means I'm reading One Piece again. We should be having an episode out in a few weeks. We have some catching up to do. We both have been slacking a bit, but we're still here. We're still alive. We are still uh, forcing each other to engage in our favorite media. So check that
1: out. And what is the name of that podcast for those that oh, may not know? The
2: Grand Line Reborn, our Final Fantasy 14 slash One Piece
1: podcast fantastic and uh, again like i said you can find out all of the information about third impact anime over on our website thirdimpactanime.com if you'd like to support our podcast financially you can hit us up on patreon over at patreon.com thirdimpactanime anime where we have a few humble tiers that you can uh, subscribe to we've got a one dollar tier that's just like a little support thing and i think a three dollar tier and a five dollar tier i haven't took i haven't looked at it lately i should probably pay more attention to that but that is a great opportunity for you to get an exclusive discord role and a the ability to give us episode recommendations where you will be credited as the producer for that episode by name we will say your name and i know that that's exactly what you want us to do on this show so go check us out on patreon uh I mentioned the discord and our discord is public and open to anyone as long as you are cool and not a jerk. So you can find the invite link over on our website as well. It's a pretty cool community over there. Lots of very cool folks who like cool things and do them in a cool way. Um, Cool. Cool. Uh, so, uh, as for me, if you want to find me on the internet, I am still on Twitter for the time being, at BebopShock, even though I haven't really been using it as much lately. I've been trying to transition most of my Twitter usage to just doing it for the podcast, but my, uh, for personal social media, I am more so over on Mastodon, uh, also at BebopShock over there. And uh, that's basically it. You can find me on Letterboxd as well. The best social media platform that has ever or probably will ever exist. Also on, at BebopShock. So uh, where can people connect with you guys?
2: I mean, I, I don't have a space anymore. I, I deleted Twitter. I, I'm done. I guess I have a Mastodon, but I haven't checked it in a month. If you want to talk to me, uh, you do it through the Discord, I guess. You should already be on our Discord. Are one of the several that I already uh, engage with. That's, that's pretty much it. You can you email me. You have a me. letterboxed. Oh yeah, I guess you can put the letterbox here. I don't. I have thoughts about letterbox. You can hang out there if you want. You can read my reviews, but I don't really consider it social media exactly. I guess. I don't know. I mean, call me.
0: <laughs>
2: I guess. <laughs>
4: Uh, as for me I also do not have a Twitter I left Twitter before it was cool (laughs) I really like to buy said I don't really have a social media presence Uh, I do have a letterbox but I have a rule that I specifically do not post reviews I might put like one sentence but other than that like I I legitimately only use it as like I watch this movie on this day and I, I'm on the Discord, though, fairly frequently, where you can mostly hear me complain about uh, my job and Just things like this. that. Uh, and the wacky shenanigans I get into now that I am a teacher. Um, but I will say this, I'm hoping that now that my life is getting to a more stable place, I'm moving in, uh, into a new apartment, I have a stable job again... Um, I'm hoping I'll be able to do more stuff with the podcast, and I have some some plans for interviews and episodes coming up, so please be on the lookout. I hope that it will not be a year before my next appearance. And if you liked
1: our review of Arcadia of My Youth and want to send us feedback or commentary on what you thought of the movie, uh, you can do that by sending us an email at thirdimpactanime at gmail.com. We're looking forward to reading that on air and discussing it. And... Bill had to run because the dinner bell rang, or I guess maybe the dinner bill, but uh, <laughs> you can also find him for now also over on Twitter at WB Foreman 39. He always says 999, but it really should be it, it WB 39. Foreman 39. We need to get on him about that. I completely agree. <laughs> and of course, he is in the Discord as well. So uh, thank you, my dear friends aboard the podcast vessel third impact anime may we see you among the sea of stars
4: Ball Blaster McGee